0: Hello, everybody. This is Brother Kapow. Today, I want to do a supplemental show on the Enoch teachings we've been doing. So I'm going to number this Enoch 6.5, 6.5, because it's in between 6 and 7. What I want to talk about is how scholars are removing Jesus from Enoch. Scholars are removing the Son of Man, Jesus, from Enoch. And once you do that, Enoch becomes pure literature. It becomes um, ancient Jewish, I don't know, mythos, midrash, uh, teaching that really has no truth to it, no substance to it, and it can't be believed, and it's just good to study as literature or history or something to enlighten you as far as what the early church believed. But obviously, it takes all truth out of the, the Scripture, and it takes Jesus Christ out of Enoch as the Son of Man, and it takes... Those teachings that show the Son of Man as Jesus Christ coming, not only in the first coming in his birth, <clears throat> excuse me, but in his second coming in judgment. And it takes all those scriptures then and makes them useless. So, this is an important show because what I want to articulate to you, the listener, if you're interested, is the scholars that are doing this, what's out there right now, so that if you hear this argument, either on your Facebook page or in your own research or you hear it on YouTube or you hear a teaching, I want you to be able to recognize it and then to be able to ask yourself some simple questions about that teacher who's teaching these things um, in regard to where they're at in their belief in the Scripture. So uh, I hope I can articulate this pretty good. All right. So this is something I discovered, as, as you know, if you've been following the Enoch show, I've been looking for some uh, more modern translations and commentaries on the book of Enoch. I've gone over all of this, but the first uh, Ethiopian book that was uh, discovered and taken back to England back in the 1700s was first translated uh, way back in the 1800s by a man named Lawrence, a man named Richard Lawrence. And he did the very first English translation and uh, scholarly work, and, and did the best he could with what he had based on the Ethiopian text. And it was written in their language called Giez, Geez. The Ethiopian Coptic Church was the only church who kept the book of Enoch alive for centuries. Uh, the Catholic Church destroyed it. The devil tried to bury it. Augustine, the beloved church father, hated it because of the teachings of the Watchers. Obviously, it exposed him as a reptilian. And so it didn't make it into the canon because Augustine had argued, also Jerome had argued uh, against the book of Enoch and really gave the council, the Nicene council, a choice between either Enoch or the book of Revelation. That was their choice to put in canon. Now if that sounds ridiculous to you, I want you to think how ridiculous it is for you to believe that the words of God, the sacred scriptures in 66 books of the Bible that you have in your hand was was made sacred and told to you that it was the only inspired words of God because this council of human men said so. That's absolutely ridiculous. It's totally not scriptural before the the Hebrews didn't canonize their Bible until well after, you know, third, fourth century AD.
1: That's right.
0: It wasn't canonized before. These were written works that were given to them by God, uh, inspired by God so they can learn about him. And we're missing all this stuff. We have missed all this stuff. Since the beginning of the Christianity, especially starting with the fourth century with um the Catholic Church and Constantine, and to believe that there was a group of men in the Nicene Council who went over all these books and said, "This is sacred, this is inspired of God, this is not this is good we well, Barnabas, no we don't want Barnabas in there uh, the book of the no Enoch, we don't want that jubilees no and did that? Of course, the Catholic book has the apocrypha in it, and our evangelical Protestant Bibles don't. We're missing huge segments of history because we don't have that. It's ridiculous to to rely on humans, to rely on man for anything, whether it's your canonical sixty six Bibles or the scholars that are reviewing Enoch. That's right it's It's a real pet peeve of mine because I can see right through it now that i' I've been removed from the church system for so long when you're in the church system, you can't see it. you fall for all of this this deception and lies you ha- you have to be removed and then you can see it you can see right through it It just doesn't make logical sense that you would rely on men to tell you what's inspired of God or not i just it's just ridiculous anyway. So in my search of commentaries, you heard me talk about, I was looking for some new English translations of Enoch because Lawrence was the very first one to do it in the 1700s. And then after him, there was a man named Charles, R.H. Charles, which is really the definitive translation of Enoch that, um, that everybody uses. I would recommend you only read R.H. Charles. You can read Lawrence if you want, but nothing beyond him because the rest of it's crap. Right. But R.H. Charles <clears throat> used the Ethiopian Coptic text and also some other text and, uh, that they could find you know, in um, Aramaic or Syriac or whatever because there was some other uh, copies floating around once they discovered it. And he put together his translation, R.H. Charles, but that was in the 1800s. And it's usually the definitive thing. You can pick it up on Amazon, I think, for seven or eight bucks. That's the one I would recommend. Mm -hmm. Okay, Charles. And then there was uh, several others that came throughout uh, the years uh, later on. And, of course, after 1948, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, Fragments of Enoch, fragments of the book of Enoch were discovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Up to that point, many thought, many of these scholars actually thought this was a Christian work written in the second century AD. They actually believed that. So they discounted the words of God right from the start and they tried to suppress it and discount it right from the start that, oh, it was written by a Christian scribe you know, a zealous Christian guy in the second century A.D. They believed that all the way up to 1948 when, oh, my God, fragments were discovered in Qumran mm-hmm. in the caves that dated back before Christ. So now they had to admit it's an ancient book, but they will only admit because they can only date it to the second temple period. In other words, right around the exile, the return from Babylonian captivity is where they date it from. And, of course, if it's dated then, it couldn't be written by Enoch, could it? Yeah. Nor could the information or the contents be given to Enoch to be passed to his son Methuselah, who passed it to Noah, and then it was then passed on through all generations up until it was hidden after, the first, after 70 AD and after the first century church, who used it extensively. Right? No, that couldn't be true to them because it was written in the second temple period by somebody pretending to be Enoch. They call it pseudepigrapha. And, of course, they whitewash it and they go, well, you know, pseudepigrapha doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. It just means that someone was writing under the guise of somebody else, you know, to to you know make their point. Well, that is called a lie. That's a liar. If I were to write a book and, and say, my name is Jimmy Carter, and I'm writing a book on the presidency of the White House and how I ate peanuts for dinner, but I'm not Jimmy Carter. That's not called pseudopigrapha, That's called liar. I'm a liar because I don't ever say who I am. I'm pretending to be somebody else. So if you come off with that premise, if a scholar comes off with the premise that that book was written by somebody else other than Anna, um, Enoch or the contents of it came from anybody else other than the seventh from Adam Then those contents are a lie and if those contents and that writer is a liar then everything else in there is a house of cards and it falls to pieces and the book becomes only valuable as literature research or for historical documentation or just to learn what those crazy people in the first century like Peter and Jesus and Paul believed. And it just becomes useless. You see, you see the slippery slope there? Yeah. So these scholars all believed after Charles wrote his translation, these scholars believed it was a, a second century book. You know why? Because the very moment you open the book of Enoch, and I would highly suggest you get it. Get R.H. Charles. Go to Amazon, get R.H. Charles. I think it's seven or eight bucks. Don't get anything else. Um, you can also get it, you can read it free online. Um, sacredtext.com you can read the Lawrence one and probably Charles too so you can do that but the, the, the moment you open the book of Enoch you see that it looks just like the New Testament they're talking the book of Enoch constantly refers to this son of man well who called himself the son of man our Lord Jesus Christ referred to himself as the son of man You know why? Because he was born of a virgin, a human woman of divine blood. He was God became flesh Amen. Mm -hmm. for his plan, his ultimate plan of redemption. You understand that he was that son of man that was preeminent with God, the father, the Ancient of days. And so when you open the book of Enoch, you start reading these things and it sounds just like the new Testament. Well, you're not the only one that's going to see that. You know who else saw that? The New Testament writers, Mm -hmm. all the disciples saw that. Paul saw that. Peter saw that. Jude saw that when he said in uh, Jude, verse uh, 15, I believe, 13 or 15, maybe it's 14. I don't know. Anyway, when he quotes Enoch verbatim, you see, Jude believed that book to actually be from the seventh of Adam and and, and says so. So who am I going to believe? The Nicene Fathers? Augustine, Jerome? Am I going to believe the the, the current scholars? Or am I going to believe the words of God? The words of God. I'm going to believe the words of God. Here Jude was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Oh, and he was ignorant? And Peter, Peter quotes Enoch. He's very Enochian. Oh, he he was ignorant. Here's a guy who walked with Jesus. He walked with God-made flesh. He's the one that Jesus says, "You're you're now you're now Petra, you're now the rock mm. because of his confession of who I am, the son of man." And you're going to tell me that he was ignorant? God forbid. But that's what these scholars want to tell you. And so you're going to hear stuff. You're going to hear things. Well, if you start researching it, you're going to hear things about Enoch maybe your even your pastor or your christian leader is going to tell you oh you's just extra biblical book you shouldn't be in extra biblical books just stick with the bible well that's fine but you're missing uh, you're probably missing the big picture right I know you're missing the big picture if that's the case. And if you have unbelief, you're probably going to miss the kingdom of heaven depending on how bad your unbelief is. But one iota of unbelief in the word of God will, will prevent you from getting into heaven. He's not going to allow anybody there who's an, who has unbelief or disbelief in his word. And I'll prove that to you. I'll absolutely prove it to you. So it, this is an important issue. And I am passionate about it because, it. well, frankly, it ticks me off. That's right. I have right, righteous indignation against these men and they're going to burn in hell for that because they are leaders and teachers and professors of seminaries and schools and they're leading men astray just like the fallen angels did and demons do today. That's right. And it ticks me off. That's right. It does. So that's why I want to talk about this. That's my introduction. Believe it or not. So I'm looking. I was looking for these different a modern translation that was more modern from Lawrence, and then also more modern from Charles. And that was my that was my problem because then I have found a couple of people. I found a guy named um, I forget his first name, but his last name was Black, and apparently he wrote a, a commentary on Enoch. And when uh, Miss Kapow tried to find it for me so she could purchase it, she found it on Amazon for (laughs) $19,496.36.
1: Yeah, a little steep for me.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, it just shows you how ridiculous this stuff is. And then there was another man named Nib, K-N-I-B-B. And uh, one of those guys was in the 80s that that actually wrote a commentary. And you can get some of his work for three hundred dollars well finally i found a guy who in um i want to say 2000 let's see what's the copyright on this thing uh i can't read anyway it's recent it's the most current it's the most current scholarship and translation his name is George Nickelsburg, and he is doctor of doctorates of Ohio University, professor of religious studies in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic and. Whatever else, and um, he he has a big long beard. He scratches and a tie. He likes to pet while he denies the Lord of Spirits. And he's a professor. He's a professor Mm Emiratis, and um, he's an intellectual and he's an academic. He's a scholar. And I found his commentary or a portion of his commentary. It's only chapters thirty seven through 82. So it's not even the beginning chapters when they talk about the watchers and the, the mating of the angels with women. Or does it talk about uh, the latter chapters, about the 10 weeks and the prophecies of Enoch? So he's only concentrating on chapters 37 through 82. And there's a reason for that. And I'll tell you, the, whole, the reason that he wrote his commentary was to deny Jesus Christ as the son of man, to deny Jesus Christ as the son of God made flesh. And that ticks me off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That irritates me. Well, anyway, Nicholsburg, George Nicholsburg, his publisher, charged me $77 for his piece of crap. $77 is what I paid. And I'm warning you so you don't do the same. He also has a translation of Enoch, a modern-day translation without commentary that I think he sells for maybe $17, uh, something like that. I got mine used for 17 bucks. His translation, honestly, is no better than Charles or uh, Lawrence's, uh, except he does uh, deny the Lord of Spirits. And I'll tell you why he does. Uh, he does it because he's an unbeliever. He has disbelief. He doesn't believe in the words of God. He comes from a place of scholarship where it is absolutely impossible for him to believe that Enoch, the seventh from Adam actually transmitted these words in a book form or scroll or whatever they did on a rock, I have no idea, and transmitted these ideas that he got from heaven and from the heavenly tablets and passed them on to his son, who passed them on to his son and his great-grandson, Noah, survived the flood, and that many of Scripture, Old and New Testament, especially New Testament, are based on the prophecies of Enoch the seventh from Adam because he was shown the totality of the history of humankind, well, Mister Nicholsburg and and I would I would go on to say every scholar is going to believe this. They're like evolutionists. You can't believe anything but evolutionists if you're uh, if you're uh, in academics, you know, because you'll be thrown out. That's right. So they come from a place where they have disbelief that it's the word of God. They believe that Enoch was written in the Second Temple period, somewhere right after the exile to Babylon and the return to their land, probably around 175 B.C. or something like that, a couple of hundred years, two to three hundred years before the birth of Christ. And they believe it was written by somebody using the pseudonym of Enoch. And the reason why they would do that was to boost up the Jewish people. Uh, for the Maccabees, for the Maccabean revolt against the Syrian, against uh, Antichius Fourth, And uh, that's why it was. So when it mentions the Son of Man, they do not believe that that Son of Man is Jesus Christ at all. It's a mysterious figure. Well, I'll tell you what, the New Testament writers, John the Baptist, Jesus Christ uh, himself, Paul, Peter, Jude, they all attested to Enoch, and they believed that Enoch pointed to the Son of Man being Jesus Christ. And that's what made that book so valuable to the early church and convinced so many Jews to convert to Christianity. Mm-hmm. To, to and not convert to Christianity, but to, to understand who their Messiah was. I used the wrong term, convert to Christianity, forgive me for that, but you know, to see who their Messiah was. Okay? So George Nicholsberg, that, you know, I I spent 77 bucks for his commentary and another 17 bucks for his translation of the entire uh, book of Enoch, denies the Lord of Spirits. Now, um, I'm going to read to you from all of the, the portion from all of these translations so that I can prove to you and show you that I'm not just spouting off here. But when I discovered this, and it took me 10 minutes to discover this, I I anxiously waited my new books in the mail, and they come, and I was all excited last week, and I ripped open the boxes, and I, uh, you know, first thing I do is I take out the commentary, and I want to see, you know, that, man, man, this guy's, you know, this guy's a scholar, he's going to go deep into the word, you know, Um, certainly he knows more than me, just some dude in mesquite, you know, with a simple BA in biblical studies, you know, this guy's a doctor upon doctors and he's a professor emeritus. And you know what? And it took me 10 minutes to discover that he was an antichrist. Mm-hmm. 10 minutes. You know why it only took me 10 minutes? Is, was it because I'm smart? Nope. Because
1: you had
0: the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells me and the Holy Spirit guides me into the truth. And the Holy Spirit gives me a word of knowledge. The Holy Spirit gives me wisdom and the Holy Spirit gives me discernment. I have discernment. And when I read these things, I can discern. And so can you, these are gifts of the Holy spirit, not gifts of Christianity or a church or gifts of brother Kapow. These are gifts that come from the Holy spirit. Anybody who lacks wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you liberally. If you lack wisdom, you better ask because if you lack wisdom, you're flapping in the wind. I'm telling you, ask God for discernment, wisdom, word of knowledge, and these things will open to you. It took me ten minutes to discover if that that this guy was an antichrist. Um And when I discovered this, I was so upset. I was I, w- I was so upset. I started looking at all these other translations and going, This this dude is denying the, is the Son of Man? He's denying Jesus Christ, and that's the reason why he wrote a commentary that only covers chapters thirty-seven through eighty-two, because the Son of Man is is referred to constantly throughout Enoch as being preeminent with God, as as just like the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word is the Son of Man. That's the Logos. That's that's our Jesus Christ made flesh. That's our Savior, our Redeemer, and the Book of Enoch goes through this over and over, and over again. And in chapter twenty, in chapter seventy-one, chapter seventy-one, which Nicholsburg's commentary covers and his translation obviously covers, in seventy-one, oh, he he has a he has a, a heading that says Enoch is discovered to be that son of man. Mm -hmm. And in his translation, he makes Enoch the son of man. He makes a human being the seventh from Adam, who is a son. He is a son of man in the sense that he's an offspring of mankind, but he's not the son of man in the sense of Jesus Christ, who was half human, half deity, divine blood, and he makes a human the seventh from Adam that son of man, and he 's proud of it, and he translates that chapter seventy one to show that Enoch was that son of man mm-hmm. but he 's a coward. see this guy 's a coward because i 'll show you where he later on in footnote says that um, in a footnote he doesn 't put it right in a commentary, he puts it, he hides it, and he says, "I want to be cl- certain everybody to be clear that um, I do not believe that the uh, early Jewish writers prior to Jesus, nor the new Testament writers after Jesus believed that Enoch was the son of man. <gasps> yeah. So he says right there that he doesn't believe they believe that, that they believed the son of man was Jesus Christ, but he believes that it's Enoch. So Mr. Nickelsburg, the professor knows so much more than Peter and Jude and Jesus and Paul. You know why? Because he oh he's been to, he's been to Ohio University studying religion mm. for thirty years. He's a fool, and he's a denier of the Lord of Spirits. And there's a place for him in the Lake of Fire because he deceives people. Because when you're a teacher, you're held at a higher standard, and he's going to account someday for that when he goes up to judgment. And, it, and it's me and George standing next to each other. You think God's going to go, Paul, 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 come here. What, what the deal is? Why were you teaching Enoch and pointing everybody to the Son of Man as being Jesus Christ and leading to salvation of Jesus Christ? No, no. Enoch wasn't written to the second uh, temple period, but yet you were pointing people to Jesus. Why would you do that? And he's going to look at George and go, Hey. Why did you teach people that it was written in the second temple period and lead them away from Jesus instead of leading them to our Lord? Those, those were my words that I gave the seventh from Adam to prophesy and to help mankind. Which one would you rather be brother Kapow or George? Mm -hmm. Which one would you rather be on the day of judgment? I'm going to take my chance and believe in the words of God. That's right. Rather than be faithless. I don't want to be a coward. These people are cowards. You see they're cowards And so when I read this, the Holy Spirit gave me a story. I'm going to share it with you. Because the Holy Spirit does this to me often, so things can make sense to me. And um, because I I, I read that this scholar, he he comes from the premise that the book of Enoch was written in uh, the Second Temple period by an unknown author pretending to be Enoch for the Maccabeans. And uh, for the Jews, and it's a great study to study Jewish history and to understand the the stupid thinking of the early church uh, like Jude and Peter and Paul, you know, and he was so arrogant to even make a statement that we should not be critical of Peter and Jude for believing in Enoch, because in their cultural milieu of their day, it was something that was common. A pseudopigrapha work was common. And that this Jewish midrash was a common thing uh, for Jews to believe in. So let's not be too critical of stupid Peter and poor stupid Jude and Paul. He actually said stuff like that. Mm. That's how arrogant the son of Satan is. He knows more than Peter and Paul and Jude. He knows more. And so he says that he was certain, absolutely certain the dating of the book of Enoch could, no, uh, could not be earlier than the second temple period. And when I say second temple period, I hope everybody knows what I mean. The Jewish temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. When they returned from Babylonian exile after 70 years and rebuilt the Jewish temple from that point all the way to 70 A.D., 40 years after Christ's death, uh, was the second Jewish temple period. Uh, which it was then destroyed. Now we have no Jewish temple period, right? Mm -hmm. So this guy is certain that it was written in that time frame, you know, before Christ. And you know why he's certain? And i lie to you not. You know why he and all the scholars are certain of that dating? Because the oldest fragments of Enoch that were found in Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, dated to such. Did they, I don't know if they use carbon dating. I don't know if they try to date a mollusk, a live mollusk that went to a billion years old. You've heard that story. Or they just use textual analysis. But they're certain that it can't be older because the oldest fragments they found dated to that period. Now, I want you to really put your logical hat on and, and listen to what the Holy Spirit told me. Because here's what the Holy Spirit gave me He said, Paul, go to Barnes and Noble in St. George, Utah. Now, fortunately, He didn't make me physically do it. I went there mentally and in the Spirit. So I didn't have to physically drive to St. George, Utah. And He said, Paul, go to Barnes and Noble in St. George, Utah. And He goes, and go into the Bible section. And I did. And he said, pick up the first Bible you see on the shelf. And I did. And he said, open the front page and see when it was published. And I did. And I saw in my spirit that that Bible was published in the year 2007. And then the Holy Spirit told me, now go proclaim to the world that the entire Bible, the 66 books that you have in your hand, was not written any earlier than the year 2007. And I said, well, that would be ridiculous, and I'd be laughed off the uh, the planet. And he says, exactly. But you tell them that you're certain, you're certain that the Bible could not be older than 2007 because the earliest manuscript that you found was dated 2007. You get it? Wow, that was a good one. The earliest manuscript that the scholars have found were in the Dead Sea Scrolls in Qumran cave, number blah, 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 dated to at that point. Therefore, they're certain that it can't be older. That's as ridiculous as me going the earliest Bible I found was in Barnes & Noble and it's dated 2007. Well, then somebody with half a brain would say, Paul, Paul, Paul. Perhaps the copy in your hand was copied or published or placed there around that time. But certainly the contents of that Bible go way, way, way back. Probably 5,000 years. Oh, no, it couldn't be because I know more than everything. I I know more than everybody else because I'm a scholar. Mm -hmm. But the Holy Spirit gave me that to to, to put that home, to put that home. And here's another one he gave me. Let me, let me give you this one. And then I'm going to get on to reading this stuff. And I, I ran this by Ms. Capal the other day. I said, if, if I were to teach you the book, uh, the Gospel of Mark, and I said, hey, we're going to do a, a study on the Gospel of Mark, and I'm the teacher, I'm the professor, I know everything there is to know, I, I, I know Greek, I know Aramaic, I know Hebrew, I've studied under the Jews, I'm a, uh, I'm a professor upon professors, and we're going to do the study of Mark, and we're going to really get into it. Would you be excited?
2: Mm-hmm. And Ms.
0: Capal said, yeah, she'd be excited. And I said, well, what, what would make you excited about that? And she said, well, because I get to learn about my Lord, my Jesus Christ, I get to go closer to him. Well, that's good, right? That's great. So she takes my course, my hypothetical course on the gospel of Mark, because I know a lot. What she doesn't know, though, is she doesn't know my belief. She doesn't know the teacher. And what she doesn't know or fails to understand about me is that I do not believe that the gospel of Mark is real. I believe that the Gospel of Mark wasn't written for 30 to 50 years after the death of Christ. That's where, by the way, that's where these scholars um, date the Gospels, by the way, 30 to 50 years after the death of Christ. So in, this is all hypothetical, folks. I really don't believe this. I'm being a professor here. And what she doesn't know is that I believe that the Book of Mark was written 50 years after The death of Christ and not by Mark at all, but by somebody else pretending to be Mark so that he could document the life of Christ for the early church. Now, she doesn't know I believe that. So now I go teach this gospel of Mark. Do you think that my unbelief and my disbelief and my my denying the, the words of God will have an outcome on what I teach her?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely it will. And there's no difference between that scenario and these scholars that are doing commentaries and translations, modern scholars on Enoch. Because where they come from, they come from a place of unbelief, folks. And this applies to your pastor, to your teacher, to the YouTube person, to your podcaster, whoever you're listening to. What do they believe? What do they really believe? Because that affects what they're teaching. If I don't believe the gospel of Mark is really the gospel of Mark written by a guy named Mark, when, when Jesus's time and he was written 50 years later, about, it's going to affect how I look at those stories as being real or not real. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect the power of Christ that I present or lack of it. So it's the same thing. And what Ms. Kapow and I have found, and you can talk about this, Ms. Kapow, is that modern-day translations of the Bible is the same thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's right. You know, I, was, um, I like looking at Bibles, and I like old Bibles. But the other day, um, I was looking for audio Bibles for the King James Version, and I pulled up a couple of them. And I like to read the comment section, and there was one uh audio Bible for the King James version that said that there were large chapters in the Book of John that were just missed. They didn't even put it in the in the uh in the bible
0: and and, and so, you know why because the modern day translations, just like this guy with Enoch, are using the best available manuscripts that's right that weren't available with King James. And these other guys, now they have better, best manuscripts and the better, best manuscripts don't have those portions of John in them. So they just leave them out. Go on.
1: Anyways, so that always, that in itself irritates me. So I didn't buy that. But in, in previous times, I would look at for Bibles and stuff. And it really annoyed me that a lot of the scriptures were either rewritten or, um, um, verses were removed and it's not just the NIV because we all know that the NIV is pretty bad but um, this has something to do, with, which is really um, the three that were that really come to mind is the NRSV and the um, NET and some of the NLT believe it or not, some of this, the uh, scriptures are removed from the actual the,
0: the ESV removes Mark Sixteen.
1: Yes. It has a little footnote it's that says footnote. that, you know.
0: Some translations have it, but the best translations do not have this crazy story about you having authority over demons.
1: Exactly. So, you know, I, as a kid, I used to, well, not as a kid, but as a young adult, I used to wonder... How they would remove or take away our Bibles if that were ever to happen, you know, because you read in history that a lot of times they've done that, where they weren't allowed to read the Word and blah, blah, blah. So I used to write scriptures everywhere and hide them, you know, in my notebooks and whatnot. So when I would have it, just in case something like that did happen. But the Lord, this I believe the Lord told me, was like, that's not how they're going to do it. They're not going to physically take your Bibles. But what they're going to do is corrupt the Word of God by taking scripture out by changing uh, verses and whatnot. And that's exactly what they've done. And and what they've done also is um, remove the deity of Christ, Mm -hmm. you know, where he is no longer the son of God. He's just a good man or a good teacher. Um, And so they take away the deity of Christ. And the whole purpose of the Bible is that Jesus Christ is and was and is and will always be the Son of God. He sure. was God made flesh. That's what made um, our. That's what makes our salvation a supernatural, a miracle, because act, God actually came in the flesh, and suffered and died under Pontius Pilate, and died for our sins, and on the third day He was rose again. God, the Holy Spirit regenerated him, and he became alive. Death could not hold him. He, he is alive, and now he is sitting at the right hand of God. That is a miracle, and that could have only been done by God himself.
0: And when, when you remove that from Scripture, and that supernaturalness, you remove the Son of God. Exactly. You're Antichrist. Exactly. Antichrist.
1: Mm-hmm. And even the, the Apostle Paul said that in Galatians, where he says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, and how many new um, um, doctrines are are." being preached mm-hmm. because people have heard some kind of angel or some kind of voice, or they were given some special, um, knowledge, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so, or even if an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed.
0: Amen. Um, Let me read you a quote from Soren Kierkegaard. And he says, there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. Let that sink in. And let me take you, before I start reading this uh, chapter of Enoch, where they deny the Lord of Spirits, their Son of Man. Let me take you to Revelation chapter 21, Verse seven and eight. And I want to show you something about the disbelievers. What what Christ says about that? He that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. That's where you want to be, right?
1: Amen.
0: But the fearful, that means timid. See, they're, they're timid. They're timid to come out on the things of God. That's why the ESV Bible Uh, leaves out Mark 16, your authority over uh, sorcery and over demons because they're timid. Oh, that can't be true. That's just too supernatural. And... But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. Now, someone who writes a book under the pseudonym of another name and pretends it's them is a liar. Mm -hmm. So if Enoch was written by somebody else pretending to be Enoch, they're a liar and they're going to burn with fire. I don't understand how a person like that could read, could write such a spiritual book and talk about Judgment Day and the Son of Man and how Jude could and Peter could be so ignorant not to know that. But according to the scholars, that's exactly the case. So the fearful and unbelieving are lumped up with murderers and whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, right? So let's look at that word unbelieving, the unbelieving. And I'm going to show you, It is a Greek word. means apistos. Pistos means faith. Apistos means no faith or lack of faith. It means disbelieving without Christian faith. You're untrustworthy. You know what that means? Faithless. You're unfaithful and faithless, not to be trusted. You don't believe the things of God. You get it Uh, when when God says. The fearful, the timid, and unbelieving won't come into the kingdom of God. They'll be thrown in the lake of fire, matter of fact. It means people who disbelieve his words. Those are the words of God, and you don't believe it. So you do a, a modern-day translation of a Bible and leave chunks of his word out? Because you oh, the modern scholarship, the, 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 what, the, the fragments we found don't have that. Really? Really? And you believe that several men in the Nicene Council said this is the word of God and this is not the word of God? Oh.
1: And see, remember Jesus says that you shall know them by their fruit. And one of the things of the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness.
0: Faithfulness. Believing his word. It is so important because that's what it's all about. If you don't believe the words of God, you'll never come to Christ in the fullness. You never will. You won't see him. In Matthew seventeen, seventeen, Jesus says to his people surrounding him, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? And that's when his disciples couldn't cast out the demon from a man's son. You know why? Because they were arguing and debating with each other. While he was up with other disciples being transfigured, and he came down. When you read the passage, they're arguing among each other. They're faithless. And in Christ says, you're faithless. It's the same Greek word, apistos. Mm-hmm. You don't believe. And Christ is, is mad. He says, How long am I going to be here with you? How long do I have to suffer your stupidness? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And John says, uh in John 2027, 20, when Christ arose and he showed himself to um uh, his, his disciples, Thomas, he didn't believe it. He doubted it. And Jesus says, Reach, reach thy finger and behold my hands, and reach thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless. Be not disbelieving, but believing, have faith. <laughs> mm-hmm. You understand? Mm-hmm. It's important. It is, it is important, and you have to understand the teacher that's teaching, do they have faith? When Christ says, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? Mm-hmm. Do they have faith? Now, now in, in Acts, Paul says, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? The word incredible is the same word, Apistos. Why should it be a thing faithless with you that God should raise the dead? Mm -hmm. And then check out Paul says, but uh, it says, do not be unequally yoked with the faithless, with an unbeliever.
1: That sure opens up that scripture more, doesn't it?
0: Yes. Yes. Second Corinthians six fourteen. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with darkness? You understand, it's not just pagans or or heathens or people who are atheists or who deny God. It's Christians, so called Christians, who do not believe the words of God. Don't have anything to do with them. Yeah. Don't be yoked with them.
1: That's even the teaching that Paul gives.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Now how, Titus, Titus 1.15 says, "And unbelieving, okay. Let me go. Up, let me go up. Uh, unto the pure, all things are pure. But mm-hmm. unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, the word is apistos, faithless. Mm. But unto them who are defiled and faithless, is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled." You understand why you can't have fellowship with him and be yoked with him? All right? You can't, I couldn't be yoked with Professor Nickelsburg. I couldn't work under him or have him be my boss. I couldn't be yoked in business with him. He's an unbeliever. He's faithless. I don't want to be standing next to him on judgment day. I don't want to stand to him next to him uh, here. You see?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Faithless. Faithless. Okay, let me, uh, let me read you something here. Let me, uh, real quick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what I'm talking about now. I'm going to start with George Nickel, Nickelsburg's commentary. Real quick. And I'm going to take you to the chapter where he denies Jesus Christ as the son of man. It's a portion in chapter um, 70. Enoch is taken to heaven, and he sees God, the head of days, and there's angels without number, and it's, it's a very dramatic scene up in heaven. And uh, he says, you know, Enoch says, I cried out with a loud voice. Now, I'm, I'm reading directly from Nicholsburg's Nickel, translation. And I cried out with a loud voice uh, with the spirit of power, and I blessed and praised the exalted. And those blessings that went forth from my mouth were acceptable in the presence of the head of days. And then he has a headline that says, Enoch is identified as the Son of Man. And when I saw that, I about Mm -hmm. fell off my chair. And in verse 13, chapter 71, verse 13, Nicholsberg translates the book and says, And that head of days came with Michael and Raphael and Gabriel and Finuel and thousands and ten thousands of angels without number. And he came to me, and there's, uh, there's a footnote there with A, because... Uh, you know, those different different fragments say different things, but he's going to go ahead and translate it this way. And it says, and he came uh, to me and greeted me with his voice. Right. And so th- that's God coming to Enoch and saying, hi, Enoch. Really? And uh, and he said to me, you are. And that's in parentheses, see, because that's not in the original. But this guy wants to add that because he has the best manuscripts. And it says, you are that son of man. So that's God talking to Enoch, telling him, you are that son of man who was born for righteousness, and righteousness dwells on you. Mm -hmm. And the righteousness of the head of days will not forsake you. And he said to me, he proclaims peace to you in the name of the age that is to be. For from their peace has proceeded from creation of the age, and thus you will have it forever and ever and ever, and all will walk on your path, since righteousness will never forsake you, and you will be their dwelling, and with you their lot, and from you they will not be separated forever and ever and ever, and thus there will be length of days with that Son of Man, and there will be peace for the righteous, and the path of truth for the righteous in the name of the Lord of Spirits forever and ever. Do you get what he just wrote? Mm -hmm. He just just attributed everything to the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, living forever, and dwelling with him forever, and him being from the inception of creation, going forth in peace. He just attributed all of that to a human being, the seventh from Adam. Mm. Because that's how he sees it. So he wrote this entire translation, 600 some odd pages, just to slip this by. Uh-huh. Just to forsake Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm not kidding you. I, I'm not kidding you. He says that Enoch is the, so, that son of man. And let me read to you what he says. He talks about it, and he says it's a prob- problematic uh, line, and then he talks about R.H. Charles, and the other translator back in the 1800s, it says, Charles could not imagine that this author, see what I mean? This author, it's not Enoch, it's some unknown author. Charles could not imagine that this author would identify the son of man with Enoch. He claimed that a passage had dropped from the text that described the son of man accompanying the head of days and a conversation taking place between Enoch and an angel. Verses 14b through 17, he supposed, are the remnant of the angel's description of the function of the Son of Man, which some scribe mistakenly applied to Enoch and transposed to the second person. Charles, in turn, changed the second person pronoun in verse 14b, and all the second person uh, uh, suffixes into the third person. Charles, force, however, has no foundation in the manuscripts. And has been universally rejected by scholars. You get what I'm saying? Mm. So Charles did not see Enoch as the son of man. It's impossible to see Enoch as a son of man when you read the entire book. It doesn't refer to a human. It obviously refers to a divine being. But not this idiot. And so now he's bagging on Charles for um, saying so. And he says that all scholars have rejected Ch- Charles now that's what I mean you can't read anything beyond his the language here is that of an installation formula he says and this fits well with commissioning scene the identification of Enoch as the son of man can be read as a first step towards the angelification of the seer in in the in the other non-enoch books like the second enoch and then his identification with the metrotron and three enoch which is Kabbalism. there's only one real enoch and that's one enoch that's the only book two and three enochs are junk they're just they're cabalistic jewish mysticism and that's what he's talking about he's making the son of man part of jewish mysticism now wow you see what i mean And then he goes on and he says um, that those verses describe the eschatological status and function of the Son of Man, here identified with Enoch. Uh, He also goes on, he says, the Son of Man slash Enoch is characterized, first of all, with the quality of righteousness. This is appropriate for Enoch, the one who walked with God and was taken up. So he goes through great length to prove that Enoch was a son of man. He says, moreover, as we have seen, righteousness is a quality associated with the chosen one slash son of man in the body of the parables. In his function as judge, he is the executor of divine justice and the patron of righteousness and chosen. So he, by saying that, he removes all um, belief That Enoch is talking about the Son of Man coming back in judgment with thousands upon ten thousands of his angels to execute judgment on the ungodly who have spoken such ungodly things against him as recorded in Jude. He just takes all of that away from him right there and says that it refers to Enoch's righteousness who is the patron of the righteous and that um, Enoch's life judges everybody.
1: Well, let me read what... um Jesus said in Matthew 16, he says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? There you go. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some say Elias, and others Jeremiah's, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give thee, unto thee, the the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charge ye the disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ.
0: You see, and that, that is just a perfect, perfect, perfect scripture for that. Because the Spirit had to reveal that to, oh, poor dumb Peter, who just didn't understand, you know, that Enoch was written by um, somebody else pretending to be Enoch. You know, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit had to reveal that. And so that's what I mean. These people, they're, they're, they're faithless. They have no spirit. They have no discernment. He's, he's a scholar, but he's a fool. He's a fool. Let me continue on what he says. He says that the son of man or Enoch will be the everlasting companion of the righteous. Thus the righteous will walk on his path, which is associated with righteousness and is called the true upright path. So he's taken everything that Christ is and is attributed to a human. Now, let me tell you what a coward he is because in small print under his footnote 27 on page 330, he says, for the record, I think that statements about the pre-existence of the Son of Man in chapters 48 and 62 in Enoch provide strong evidence that the authors, quote-unquote, and transmitters of the three parables did not envision Enoch as the Son of Man. What a coward. So he says, for the record, he believes that these statements... Prove that the authors and the transmitters did not believe that Enoch was a son of man. But he, he doesn't tell you that in his. His commentary, he mm-hmm. puts it way in a footnote. Wow. OK, so let me move on from there. And, and now we're going to go back to the very first English translation. And I'm not going to make this long. We're going to make this quick. Um, and I'm going to read you, uh, the same chapter only starting at verse 11, Enoch's up in heaven and everything. And this is the way Lawrence in the 1700s, the very first English translation of the book of Enoch translated this passage. And he translated it, Michael Raphael, Gabriel Faneuil, and the holy angels who were in the heavens above went in and out of it. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel went out of that habitation, and holy angels innumerable. With them was the Ancient of Days, whose head was white as wool and pure, and his robe was indescribable. Then I fell upon my face, while all my flesh was dissolved, and my spirit became changed. I cried out with a loud voice, with a powerful spirit, blessing, glorifying, and exalting. And those blessings which proceeded from my mouth became acceptable in the presence of the Ancient of Days." The ancient of days came with Michael and Gabriel, Raphael and Fenewal, with thousands of thousands and myriads of myriads, which could not be numbered. Then that angel came to me and with his voice saluted me, saying, Thou art the offspring of man who art born for righteousness, and righteousness has rested on thee. You see the difference? Mm-hmm. He doesn't call him the son of man. He says, You're the offspring of man. You're man. You're human. And it's not God talking to Enoch, it's the angel. Mm-hmm. And he says, You're the offspring of man, and you're born for righteousness, and righteousness is rested on thee. And righteousness of the ancient of days shall not forsake thee. All that's true because it said, Enoch walked with God, and then he was not. Mm. He said, On thee shall he confer peace in the name of the existing world. For from thence has peace gone forth since the world was created. That's from God, not from Enoch. And thus shall it happen to thee forever and ever. He shall receive peace forever and ever. Why? Because he's up in heaven, he's been raptured. And then it says, All who shall exist and who shall walk in thy path of righteousness shall not forsake thee forever. What does that mean? If Enoch walked in righteousness with God and was translated, then if I walk in righteousness, I will be resurrected. That's what that means. And then it says, with thee shall be their habitations. Yeah, when we all get to heaven. And with thee their lot. Yes, our reward will be in heaven for righteousness. Nor from thee shall they be separated forever and ever. Because we're all going to be in heaven for eternity. And thus shall length of days be with the offspring of man. Peace shall be to the righteous and the path of integrity shall the righteous pursue in the name of the Lord of spirits forever and ever. Do you see the big difference mm-hmm. in Lawrence's translation? Lawrence does not make Enoch the son of man. Enoch is nothing more than the offspring of man who is blessed for being righteous. And it goes with the rest of the book. Of course, he's right. He's walked with God. That's why he's in the heavenlies. Now, let me go to um, R.H. Charles. uh a translation, and it says, uh, and and it came to pass after this that my spirit was translated and it ascended into the heavens, and I saw the holy sons of God. They were stepping on flames of fire, garments were white, uh, blah, 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 let me go on and uh, see, and the angel Michael seized me by my hand, lifted me up, led me forth to all the secrets, da, da, da. let me get to the point here, okay, just let me start here at, at verse 8, and I saw angels who could not be counted a thousand thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand encircling that house. And my, that's heaven, the house of God, the throne of God. And Michael and Raphael and Gabriel and Finuel and the holy angels who are above the heavens go in and out of that house. And they came forth from that house and Michael and Gabriel, Raphael and Finuel, and many holy angels without numbers. And with them, the head of days, his head was white, pure as wool and his raiment indescribable. And I fell on my face and my whole body became relaxed. And my spirit was transfigured. And I cried with a loud voice with the spirit of power and blessed and glorified and extolled. And these blessings, which went forth out of my mouth were well-pleasing before that head of days. And that Head of days came with Michael and Gabriel, Raphael and Phineal, thousands and ten thousands of angels without number. And then Charles has a a footnote and he says, lost passage wherein the son of man was described as accompanying the head of days. And Enoch asked one of the angels as in um, 46, chapter 46, concerning the son of man as who he was. So in verse eleven, it says, "And I fell on my face, and my whole body became relaxed, and my spirit was transfigured, and I cried a loud voice." There are um, dot dot dot. What do you call them? Ellipsis. Mm-hmm. There's an ellipsis there with the spirit of power. And Charles says there's a lost passage there where there's a discussion about the Son of Man. Well, the new translator, Mister Nickelberg George here, um, doesn't say that. He just. He says, Well, Enoch was the son of man. He doesn't say there's some lost stuff. And in fact, he bags on Charles for saying such a thing. And it goes on and he says, And he, the angel, came to me and greeted me with his voice and said unto me, This is the son of man who is born unto righteousness. Not Enoch, but this is the son of man. So Charles' translation differs from Lawrence's, where Lawrence says, no, you're, you're the offspring of man, and you're righteous, and that's why you're here in heaven, and those people that are going to be transferred are going to be in heaven with you. Charles says that this is the son of man who is born unto righteousness, and righteousness abides over him. And the righteousness of the head of days forsakes him not. And he said unto me, uh, he proclaims unto thee peace in the name of the world to come, from whence has proceeded peace since the creation of the world. So shall it be unto thee forever and ever and ever. And all shall walk in, the, in his way since righteousness never forsakes him. With him will be their dwelling places and with him their heritage. And they shall not be separated from him forever and ever and ever. And so there shall be length of days with that son of man. And the righteous shall have peace and an upright way in the name of the Lord of spirits forever and ever. So R.H. Charles clearly points that that son of man is Jesus Christ and not Enoch. Lawrence points that Enoch is not the son of man, but the offspring of man who is righteous and who's up in heaven. And then other righteous people will follow his path and be up heaven. Both could be correct. I tend to go more with R.H. Charles. Okay, now let me read you one last one from John D. Ladd. And that's the translator paraphrase that I've been using uh, in this study. And here's what he writes. And he says, uh, let me get right to the scripture. Uh, Then Michael, Raphael, Gabriel, Fidel, and uncountable angels came out of that house. The head of days was with them. His head was white as wool. His garments were indescribable. I fell on my face. My body melted. My spirit was transformed. And I cried loudly, blessing, praising, exulting. My praises were pleasing to the head of days. The head of days was himself there with all those angels. Let's see. Let me get past this stuff. That angel came to me and said, you were born to be righteous. So this guy's translation follows more Lawrence's. So he says, you were born to be righteous and righteousness has remained with you. And the head of days will now cause righteousness to remain upon you. He proclaims peace to you for the sake of the world to come. All who walk in righteousness will someday be joined to your dwelling place for the son of man will give life and peace and righteousness in the name of the Lord of spirits forever. Okay, so that was lad. Now he tends to um, to go more with what Lawrence had wrote about Enoch and I tend to go more with Charles and here's why. Because the rest of Enoch, the entire book of Enoch, he never points to himself. He only points to the Son of Man and who that Son of Man is. Mm -hmm. And the mystery of the Son of Man. Enoch wasn't interested in glorifying himself. Matter of fact, he's falling on his face, pooping his pants, you know, because of what he's seeing. He's not going he's not writing about himself going oh they told me I was so cool and righteous and everybody's going to be you know that's like me is going to be up here which is true i mean it's 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 not untrue that if you follow a righteous path you're going to go to heaven it's not untrue but i think the entire book points to the son of man as jesus christ and not to enoch as anything special he was just the seventh from adam who 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 walked with god mhm And it was translated.
1: This one scripture I wanted to read um, in John 5.25. It says, Very verily I say unto you, The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. And then Jesus asks, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth?
0: Here's Jesus himself. God made flesh. Referring to himself as that Son of Man. Mm -hmm. Which the ancient book of Enoch... Constantly refers to that son of man and the judgment and his coming and who he is. But I'm going to have some modern day scholars and Bible translators and and teachers tell me otherwise. You have anything else, Ms. Capel? No, that's it. I'm just leave everybody with Revelation 21. (sighs) Again, I'm gonna start with verse six. And he said unto me. It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Mm. But the fearful and unbelieving, the disbelieving, the apistos, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Hmm. Now, I know everybody listening to the sound of my voice, so you wouldn't be listening to the show, believes that Jesus Christ is that Son of Man, the Son of God, made flesh. Everybody believes that. So if you were to listen to somebody who denies that, then they're denying that truth. And if they deny that truth of God, then what are they? They're liars. They're not only unbelieving, apistos, they're liars. And they're going to burn with fire. That's what Jesus says. So, just a little warning when you if you you 're going to research this stuff, look into it you 're going to come across this type of thinking, and you 're going to have to make up your own mind what you believe because no one could could say what you should believe you 're going to have to make up your own mind that 's right what you want to do, and maybe you 're just going to be. You know, middle of the maybe you'll try to be middle of the road. You know, I really don't I'm not on fire about this. I really don't believe it. Uh and I really don't disbelieve it. Maybe I'll just stick with my uh canical sixty six books and just let it be. And um you can take a middle of the road, be lukewarm and take your chance. Oof. But the scriptures say that he's gonna spew the lukewarm out of his mouth. He'd rather have you hot or cold. Be a George Nicholsburg or be a brother Kapow, but don't be in between. Mm-hmm. Don't be in between. Don't be, don't be feckless. Don't be timid. Uh, That's all I have. Anything else, Miss Nope, that's it. Okay. Good night.